Well, good morning, everybody. Grab a Bible, turn to the 23rd Psalm. We are uh, continuing in a series that we're calling The Good Life. And uh, we've really been, uh, in this psalm, we're really focusing on uh, the goodness of God in our lives every day. Uh, His goodness is revealed to us. And so a couple of weeks ago, I talked a little bit about uh, contentment. As the psalmist says, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I, I have everything that I need. And the reason why is because the Lord is a shepherd, right? And we talked about that. And then last Sunday, we talked about rest and relaxation, that part of um, God's goodness to us is that he leads us into green pastures and, and beside still waters where we find rest. Now, this morning, I want to I talk about a third aspect of God's goodness. And that really is, um, is it's guidance, guidance. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And I, uh, it's, it's not a... It's not an easy topic to preach on because there's a lot of um, pieces and parts to it. So uh, I appreciate your prayers as I try to do this again. But, um, you, know, as, you know, as Christians, you know, our life, even as non-Christians, right, our life is a series of decisions and choices that we make. So we make choices and then our choices make us. And so we, we feel a lot of pressure around big life decisions that we're making um, we want to make a string of really good decisions, right? Because we want to have success. Uh, we want to avoid bad decisions because we don't, we want to avoid failure, right? Um, and so questions like, you know, do I go to IU or Purdue? Uh, do I marry her or not? Uh, do I take this job or that job? You know, do we homeschool or do we public school? You know, these are the kind of questions that we, we face on a regular basis and, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure around them. And even after we make the decision, uh, there's pressure even after the decision, right? There's stress and, um, you know, there's, well, did I make the right decision or did I make the wrong decision, you know, even, even after you've made it. And I think a lot of Christians really struggle um, with this question of how do I get guidance from God? Like, how do I know God's will? How do I hear his voice? And how do I know uh, what he wants me to do. In fact, I'd love to just see a show of hands today. How many of you are at a decision point in your life and you're praying, you're praying to God for guidance right now? Just raise your hand. Let me see. Yeah, that's, that's like most of us, right? So it's, it's just every day. Well, let me just, can I just share some good news with you? Um, Psalm 23 speaks to this, and I think, I think it's good news for us. So that's what I want us to look at today. So as we begin, I want to I invite you. We're going to read through Psalm uh, 23. We're going to read all six verses, and I'm going to invite you, if you're willing and able, would you stand for the reading of the Word of God. So David writes this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. All right, so the verse that, I, that we're looking at is verse 3. And, you know, this is, this is where David is really communicating his confidence 
in God's guidance. He says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Now, what's he saying? Well, he's saying that because God is good, God guides us. He guides his children. That guidance is a part of the goodness of God. That it's a part of his grace extended to us in these, these big decisions of our life. And so that's really good news because we don't have to stress, press, or be depressed, you know, because we're not alone. Uh, we're not having to navigate, you know, life on, on our own. And so what you see is David's confidence that the shepherd's going to guide him into these paths of righteousness. Now that phrase, paths of righteousness, you know, is interesting because it can mean right path. Uh, it can mean right paths. So uh, any one of those work. And so David is basically saying, I don't have to figure this out on my own. I think that's, that's really, really good news. And so I don't know if you ever have read the, you know, kind of choose your own adventure novels. You guys ever done that where you're, you're reading along in a, in a novel and so you're being chased by a pack of rabid wolverines, right? And they're just gaining ground on you and you're getting tired. And you see this little old lady um, and she's on the front porch of her house. She's kind of waving you to come in. You know, she, you know, she'll protect you from the rabid wolverines. And so you have a decision to make, right? You can, you can just keep running, and so you just read on through page 94, right? Or if you're going inside the house with an old lady, you just, you just turn to page 120 and pick up the story at that point, all right? Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm running from rabid wolverines, I'm probably going to go with the old lady. I'm going to take my chances with her, and I'm going in the house. You know what I mean? Because I want to get away from uh, these rabid wolverines. So I go into the house with the old lady. She turns out to be the wicked witch from the West. She ties me up, puts me in a pot of stew, cooks me. I'm dead in the story. It's like, wow, if I'd have just known that, I would have never made that decision, right? And I think, I think really the way that you read those choose your own adventure stories, you start at the end and you work your way back, that'd probably be the best thing. And it, wouldn't it be great if we could do that in life? Wouldn't it be great if we could go back? Wouldn't it, you know, haven't you ever said, if I knew then what I know now, I'd have never done that. Yeah, we've all done that, right? Now, we don't get that luxury, but I think the question still remains on the table. How do we, how do we receive guidance from God? How do we know the will of God? Um, how do we know his voice? How does he guide us? Is it a warm fuzzy? Is it a warm feeling of peace? Uh, I've heard a lot of Christians in, in my years, uh, you know, would say something along the lines of, you know, we had a decision to make, so we prayed about it. We felt a peace about a certain course of action and we did it. I've heard a lot of people say that. And, and, and certainly God can lead that way. But you have to be careful because the enemy can lead that way too. You got to be really careful. You got to be really careful making your feelings the source of your guidance. Got to be really careful with that. Because you can feel a lot of different things. You know, you eat the baked chicken at tried and true. You might feel a warm fuzzy after that. You might not. I don't know. But you got to be careful with it. What about does God lead through unique signs? And oftentimes you'll, you'll hear a Christian, you know, mention some sign that, that they really 
took and as as guidance from God. You got to be you know careful with that. Now here's the thing about signs. Um, certainly, what you see in Scripture is God leading certain characters that way. In fact, He does that uh, a significant number of times. I think Gideon comes to our mind uh, in the Old Testament. He wants to know the will of God. He asks for a specific sign and he puts out the fleece. You might remember this story. And so he puts this fleece out at night and it, you know, it happens to be, you know, the next morning it turns out to be wet on a dry night. And he takes that as a sign that he's supposed to do something. And then, and then he confirms it and it's the exact opposite the next night. And so he gets God's guidance from a sign. Is that, is that how God does it? Should you and I put a fleece out tonight with all of these decisions we're praying about. Well, the thing that I would say is that just because God led Gideon that way doesn't mean that that's normative for how he leads us today. You know, God is, God has revealed himself progressively through history. So we get, we get more revelation as we progress through history. And so when you think about Gideon, he was at a significant disadvantage because he didn't have Jesus. Now, he had the promise of the Messiah, and he looked forward to that promise, but he didn't have Jesus. In fact, he didn't even have the Old Testament. It wasn't even, you know, composed at that time. Uh, he didn't even have the New Testament. That's why you and I are at a significant advantage, because we have the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we have Jesus. So what that means is he's going to lead us and relate to us a little bit differently. Now, God can lead and guide us however he wants to. You know why? Because he's God. But it's, I wouldn't say that putting a fleece out is the normative way. Now, some of us, when it comes to the will of God and the voice of God, we approach it kind of like this. You guys know what this is? This is the magic eight ball. And, um, and so what you do is, you, sh- you know, you shake it up and you ask it a question and it guides you, right? It, it, gives, you, uh, it gives you an answer. So, um, so let's just try it out today. Let's see if it works, all right? So let's just try it. I'll shake it up. Let's see what question. Is Pastor Scott going to preach for more than an hour today? All right, let's, let's go with that. All right, let's look. Signs point to yes. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, you picked the wrong Sunday to come today, didn't you? Uh, all right, let's try it again. All right. Is uh, the Alabama football team the best college football team in the nation? Here we go. It is decidedly so. Yeah. <laughs> Man, this thing's like on today or something. Um, all right, here's a good one. We can all relate to this, especially this week. Will Republicans and Democrats ever learn to work together? Very doubtful. Yeah, there we go. Man, you could probably use this today. So anybody want to borrow it? It is, it is on fire today. Um, I think we approach the will of God like that. Just give me the map. Just give me the answer, God. What am I supposed to do? And I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And, and we really just want the answer. And I don't think that we realize um, how much we're impacted by our culture. I don't think we realize that we're kind of like the frog in the kettle. And we don't, end up, we don't understand how the culture that we're surrounded by is influencing our view of Christianity and our relationship with God. Because when it comes to the will of God and the voice of God, we want a direct answer and we want it right now. Just like we want our Big Mac and large fries right now, right? 
And so that's the culture influencing us. And so we need to be mindful that just because the, you know, the culture says something doesn't mean that's how, that's reality. You know, as I was prepping, you know, this message, I, I, I listened to a sermon by Tim Keller and he was, he made this observation that this whole question of, you know, knowing God's, you know, personal will for my life. Uh, he says, it's just a recent question. It's not a question that's been around very long in the church. And he makes the observation that it's only really been around 50 years, this whole question of how can I know, you know, the personal will of God for my life. That, that's only been around the last 50 years. In fact, you know, if you go back and you look through sermons in the 1900s and the 1800s and the 1700s, all the way back to the Re- Reformation, you go all the way back to the early church, the early church fathers, there's not a single sermon written on, you know, how do I know kind of the personal will of God. And his observation is that it's really a product of our culture. Because what does our culture tell us? The culture stresses individualism. That the rights of the individual person are more important than the family or the group or even the nation. That it's all about self-actualization and self-fulfillment and the desires and the wants and the needs of the self over everything else. And if we're not careful... You know, we begin seeking the will of God out because we want to know the will of God because we really want God to help us achieve our dreams, our aspirations, and our desires. And in the process, we turn the will of God and the voice of God into an idol. And so we want to know the will of God, but we don't want to know God himself. We want guidance but we really don't want the guide. We want the direction, but not the director. We wanna be in the green pastures and beside quiet waters, but we don't want the shepherd. And that's turning the will of God and the voice of God into, into some kind of idol. And this is where God becomes a means to an end where I reach my dreams and my desires and you know, my preferences for my life. I remember when I was in youth group and I had a great, I had just a a great youth pastor and um, he had such an influence on me. But I remember he would talk about, you know, the major decisions that you're making in your life. And, you know, when you're working with high school students, they are on the cusp of a series of big decisions. And so, so he talked about that a great deal. And, and so he really challenged us, um, you know, at every decision point, we really need to hear the voice of God. That we need to get the voice of God, you know, about who we're dating and, you know, what, what college we need to attend and what major we, you know, uh, that we major in and what career choice, you know, that we choose. And so, and so there's all this emphasis on that. And, and it just, I just remember, I, I just remember being a little nervous about it because like, what if, you know, what if I don't hear God correctly, right? What if I don't hear the right voice? Then, then you know, I've missed God's plan for my life. Like, what if I marry the wrong person? And then we have kids, and my kids are messed up because I married the wrong person. You know what I mean? It's, it's, the, it's kind of this, this end thing. It's, and, and so we kind of look at, 
you know, we look at the will of God as like our lives are a train and we, you know, we're, we're, on, a, we're on a train and, and so we've got several stops and several connections that we need to make, you know. And so if you miss one connection, you, you know, you've totally missed the will of God for your life. You know, it's like you're, you're in plan B. You know, you've, you've, you're, now you're in plan C or whatever. It's a lot of pressure related to that. And I think what we see is that's, that's not really the plan of God that Scripture's really talking about. Um, I, think it's, I think it's a lot broader than that. And I think when it comes to the issue of guidance specifically, you don't have in Scripture, you, you don't have this emphasis on hearing the voice of God, what you have when it comes to guidance from God is this emphasis on knowing God and trusting God and walking with God and becoming like God and then he'll guide you. So, so in other words, another way of saying it would be that there's, there's not this focus on I've, I've got to hear a voice at a certain, certain decision the emphasis is on walking with God every day and knowing him every day and trusting him every day. Let, let me show you what I mean by this. You know, we've already looked at Psalm 23. Let me show you Psalm 25, verse 12. Uh, because you, you really see where the emphasis is put in this whole question of guidance. So the psalmist writes, Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, his offspring shall inherit the land. Now, what's he talking about there? He's talking about guidance. Notice where he puts the emphasis. He doesn't say anything about hearing the voice of God, but what he does put the emphasis on is fearing God, revering him, honoring him, worshiping him. And so he says, who is the man who fears the Lord? Well, the byproduct of walking in that kind of relationship is this. Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. So you see the outflow of that? Walking with him, trusting him, fearing him. And the result of that is guidance just comes. Look at, look at verse 15 of, uh, of Psalm 25. He says, my eyes are ever towards the Lord. He will pluck my feet out of the net. In other words, he's going to guide me out of disaster. He's going to lead me out of disaster in that way. Why? Because my eyes are on the Lord. Now, you know, we say that a lot. I think that's kind of cliche in, in the church today. What does that really mean? Does it mean you're really seeing God? Like visually? No, it just means that you're dwelling on the goodness of God. You're trusting God, and then he's going to lead you out of disaster as a result of that trust. Look at verse 17. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. So he's saying, God, guide me out of what is stressing me out right now. My, you know, my troubles of my heart have enlarged. So I'm, I'm asking you, and the implication is I'm trusting you to guide me out of this. So you see that emphasis? Let me, let me show you this one. This is a good one. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? It's probably on everybody's fridge in here, right? Um, so let's look at it. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll, he'll make, he will make straight your paths. Now, where's the emphasis there? 
the emphasis is trusting God. The emphasis is not leaning in your own understanding, but trusting God and acknowledging him along the decision points. And the result will be he's going to make paths, you know, your paths straight. That's, that's where he is. So, so that's the promise, you know, that we get. What, what he's saying is God's going to guide you. But he may, he may not guide you in the way that you think, all right? So here's what I want to do today, all right? So all of that to just kind of set up what I want to kind of focus on as we, as we apply this. I think what David is saying in Psalm 23 is he's saying two things. I think he's saying, first of all, there's a right path. He leads me in paths of righteousness. And then I think he says there are, there are the right conditions for guidance for his name's sake. All right, so those two things. Let's look at it. The right path. He leads me in paths of righteousness. So what that means is, and I just kind of, when I'm interpreting I just look at it, I take it on face value. That means to me, how I interpret that is a right path for my life exists. That's how I interpret that. I know that's basic, but it really, that's where you start. There's a right path. And by implication, there's a wrong path. And so what, what, what David is affirming is God is busy leading me to the right path. There is a wrong path, but God's will, God's desire for me is to be, to be on the right path. Now, as I mentioned, we have more of God's revelation for us in the New Testament. He fills in more of the blanks. He doesn't fill in all of them, as we know, but he fills more of the blanks in in the New Testament. So there's an incredible verse that speaks to this in, you know, in the New Testament. It's Ephesians 2.10. He says this, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, catch this, that we should walk in them. He's giving an allusion to a, a path that we should be walking in. And what's the path? The path is a path of good works. Now, let me, let me just make two observations because this verse is loaded, absolutely loaded. First, first observation I want to make is this. You are God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship. What that means is this. That Greek word for workmanship uh, is poema. It's the Greek word poema. And poema means work of art. We get the word poem from poema. Do you know what you are? You are God's poem. You are God's work of art. That's what Paul is saying. He has designed you and shaped you to be uniquely you. There's not another you in the entire world. When he made you, he broke the mold and he designed you specifically with a temperament and personality, gifts, talents, and abilities that are uniquely you. Isn't that astounding? He, he has made you beautiful. You are his work of art. He did this before the creation of the world. Why don't you go hang on that thought for a minute? He did it beforehand. Now that's pretty cool. Uh, so what that means is your value, your significance, your worth as people were established at the beginning of, the, of, the, of time, at the beginning of the world. There's a second thing that he says, that not only are you God's workmanship, but you are to, wor you are to walk in good works. All right, notice what he says. You are created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. In other words, there is a path 
of good works that God created beforehand that he wants you to walk in. And so he's designed you to do a certain set of things. He has equipped you and empowered you and gifted you uh, to do a certain set of tasks. Your, your tasks are different from mine. You know, your tasks probably different from others, but you have a set of tasks that God created in advance for you to do. And so even your experiences, even your sufferings are a part of this path that God wants to use you on to do good works. That is incredible. So he even redeems our suffering and our heartache, right? So, so you have the spiritual gift of encouragement. What do you do with that gift? You encourage others. You've walked through the pain of infertility, right? You've experienced the barren desert that that is. Well, you're equipped now to help and help others know the comfort of God as they walk through that barren desert. You know, you have the gift of service and helps. You're really good with your hands. And so you should really help your pastor fix things around the house. No, I'm just kidding. Because um, I, <laughs> I don't have that gift. Um, but you help those in need, right? You know what that is? That's the will of God for you. To walk in the path of good works. And that path may take you to Purdue. It may take you to IU. There are paths in both places of good works. And so I think that's what Paul's saying. You are God's workmanship. And, and walk in the path of righteousness that he's given you. The problem is, church, we don't want his plan. We don't want his path. We don't want paths of righteousness. We want paths of happiness. We want to live the world's ver you know, version of the good life. We want our best life now. And, and, and oftentimes what we're really seeking is we're not really seeking the guide. We're seeking guidance so that we can get a happy, comfortable, problem-free, easy, middle-class life. That's what we want. Thinking that that's going to bring fulfillment. So we'll go to a prayer meeting seeking a word for God for how we can get insight into you know, some decisions so that we can achieve our dreams. And so we want a shortcut to fulfill our plans and our dreams. We want a formula and we have this expectation that God is going to guide us and lead us to, to marry the perfect guy, you know, to have the perfect major and the perfect career and, you know, we'll have perfect kids and then, um, we'll, you know, we'll go to a perfect church. And I'm just here to say, church, none of that exists. None of that exists. And so the will of God how he reveals it to us is a, maybe a little bit different than what we're thinking it is, right? It's, 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 a, little bit, it's, it's a little bit different. And J.I. Packer, you know, he gives a great illustration of this. And, and I think it really, it helps us to kind of grab on to this whole concept. Um, you know, he talks about, he talks about being lost, you know, so when you're lost and you're trying to get to a certain location, so you're driving around, you don't know where you are, and um, you don't have your phone with you, obviously. So you see somebody that looks local, like they know where they're going. They know they, know they could help you. So you pull up to them and say, hey, can you help me get to X? And they're like, um, you know, it's a little complicated. Uh, let me just draw you a map. So he starts, you know, drawing a map and you're just like lost. And so, so the guy's like, he's looking at you and he's like, you are totally lost. And so why don't we just forget the map? I'll just get in the car and guide you there myself. Now, what did he do? He didn't give you directions. 
He gave you himself. He didn't give you the map. He gave you the guide. The guide's in your front seat. And what does the guide do? He says, well, just go down the road a little bit. Turn right at the stop sign. And you don't, you don't even know where you're going. But you trust him. And then, and then you take a right at the stop sign. You go around the curve and there's a T. And then you take, and he says, take another left. And you don't know where you're going. But you trust him. And you go through curves and you go through valleys. And you go through, you know, rough patches and easy patches and straightaways and all this. And you're like, man, this is kind of out of the way. I don't know where we're going. But I trust you. And then he gets you to the destination. That's how God does it. He's our guide. And he's going to guide. And isn't it great news that God doesn't just hand us the map ahead of time with it all marked out and said, see you later, go figure it out yourself. For one thing, we'd be really confused looking at it. For one thing, we wouldn't like maybe what's on it. But you know what? With the presence of the guy, we know we're going to be okay because he's with us. And he's good. And I think that's the picture that we have. Guidance is not something that really, you know, God gives us as much as it is something God does for us one step at a time. And so there's not a verse in Scripture or a passage that I could, you know, just explain to you. Like, this is the formula. Just follow A, B, C, D. Man, you'll get guidance every time, you know. You don't need a fortune teller. You certainly don't need this. You, you got a verse and... And, uh, and the verse just explains, there's not a life hack that I can give you where this is just, you know, you can just put the quarter in and get, get your directions, you know, from God. There's, it, that's just not how it works. Um, and I think what we see in Scripture is the emphasis is not really as much on how God guides, but whom God guides. So the question is, are you the kind of person that God can guide? That's really the question. Just let that just sink in. It's, it's not really about the how. God can do it however he wants. But it's really about the kind of person. Now let me, can I take a little bit of a bunny trail? All right, can we just kind of pause right there for a minute? You know, earlier I talked about how my youth pastor said we need to pray about, you know, every decision that we make, you know, all the big ones and stuff. We need to get the voice of God. And so I don't want to leave the impression that we shouldn't be praying about that. So the question is, should we pray about who we're dating? Yeah. You need to be praying about that. But not only do you need to be praying about it, you need to be seeking God's word about that. Because the word actually informs us who we should be dating, who we should consider marrying when we come to that point in our life. You know, it talks about not being unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Well, God just gave us great guidance right there. You know, you're praying about where to go to college. You know, should you pray about that? Of course you pray about that. And then you know what you need to do? You need to visit a lot of colleges. And you need to ask people who, you know, the colleges you're considering. You need to think about who you're going to major in, what they do with that major. And, and, you know, you're praying about what your career is. And you need to kind of talk to your parents about that. And you need to get a job assessment, you know, um, tools to help you kind of figure all that. In other words, God uses all of those things to guide us and to make a good decision. And it takes the pressure off this, this thought that I've got to hear 
of the voice at a certain time. I think that's really good news because God works in so many different ways because he's our guide. Now, there are a couple of other things about, I think, the will of God related to this that I think are important, and and I I just want to call them out. Other people can't knock you out of the will of God. Other people can't knock you out of the will of God. So if you've been hurt by a business partner, if you've been hurt by, you know, an ex, you know, a, a spouse or whatever, or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or somebody's just done you wrong and betrayed you, they can't knock you out of the will of God. They just can't. And a great story of this is Joseph, where his brothers, I mean, they just, I mean, they were trying to kill him. Basically, that was their plan. They wanted to kill Joseph. They were jealous of him. So they came up with this idea, this scheme to kill him. Then at the last minute, they changed their mind. They just sold him into slavery. You guys, they ruined his life for years. And, and it's, turned Joseph's life upside down. But you know what? Joseph came to see because God was his guide that God used that all of that set of circumstances for good to get Joseph on the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And if you know the rest of the story, Joseph became prime minister of Egypt and saved the lives of thousands of people. But he would have never been able to do that had he not gone through what he'd gone through to be prepared for that. Does that make sense? And so Joseph came to see that God's plan is sovereign. Even though, you know, his brothers betrayed him and hurt him, he said, what you meant for evil for me, God turned it around and used it for good. So other people can't knock me out of the will of God. And here's the, the, the news gets even better. My past mistakes cannot knock me out of the will of God. Because I think a lot of us say, well, I know God will protect me from, you know, he'll get me, you know, in the paths of righteousness, you know, um, regardless of what other people do. But man, what, what if I just kind of blow it? What if I just kind of mess up? You know what? God's grace is greater than my sins and my mistakes. Can I get an amen to that? And I think if you're willing to trust God, even even your past sins will not disqualify you from the will of God. You know, sin brings consequences, and they're painful consequences. And we need to avoid sin at all costs because God doesn't want us to go through those consequences. But God's grace is so good that even when we mess up, he can work things together so that his plan and purpose will be achieved. I think Jacob is a great illustration of this. He sins against Esau, his brother. He is a, Jacob is a conniver. He's a cheater. Uh, he's, he, you know, he is... I mean, he's just all that, all right? And uh, if you don't know his story, you know that um, his actions, is, you know, cause him to be estranged from his, um, from his family. And so then he has to leave home. When you lie and cheat against your family, you're pretty much going to leave home. And, um, and so he meets the love of his life in a foreign country, Rachel. And they get married and they have kids. And guess what? They establish the line of Jesus Christ. And that line was established in sin. And so was Jesus plan B? You know, like God the Father is like, oh man, they really messed it up now. What do I do now? You know, they did all this. No, doesn't do that. 
It just shows the incredible mystery that God can take our sins and redeem them and accomplish his purposes. Now, does that mean we need to go out and sin like crazy? Absolutely not, because sin has its consequences. And you can read about Jacob's consequences, very painful. So, those, so that's the bunny trail, right? So what are the right conditions for guidance? I, want, I need God's guidance in my life. Great question. Kind of set it up, right path. You know what it is. You know, he's shaped you and designed you. Um, he, he, he's a guide. He's going to guide you one step of the way. What are the right conditions? Well, notice what David says. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Not for my name's sake. For his name's sake. You know what that tells me? That the purpose behind God leading me is so that other people can know God's name. He does it for his name's sake. He doesn't do it so that we can make a name for ourselves. He does it so that other people can know God's name. He does it so that other people will see our life and see our good works and see us walking on the path of righteousness. And they'll say, what in the world are you doing? And you say, hey, I'm following God. Come join me on the path of righteousness. And you know what? God's trying to lead them to on that path. And he's using you to do it. But there's certain practical conditions that need to be met if I'm going to be guided by God. I think, I think one of them is this, that I, I desire to know God. I desire to know him, to walk with him, to know his ways, to know his purposes, to know his, his wisdom, to know his love. You, get, you, have, you have the invitation to know Almighty God. And so guidance flows out of that desire to know him. John says it like this, and this is eternal life. We think eternal life is dying and going to heaven. Man, how shallow is that? No, eternal life is this, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. You know him. So I think guidance flows out of knowing God. And the desire to know God. I think secondly, if I'm going to be guided by God, I must be willing to do what God says. You know, Dallas Willard in his book, Hearing God, he talks a lot about, you know, half the battle of getting God's guidance is having a heart that says, yes, God, wherever you send me, I'll go. I mean, that's, that's it right there. I mean, you get that. If that's where your heart is, he's going to guide you. You're not going to miss the will of God. You can't miss the will of God when your heart is, God, yes, before you even ask because I, I, I have this desire to do what he says. And, and even Psalm 25 speaks to this. What does he do? He leads the humble in what is right. And he teaches the humble his way. He doesn't do that to the proud. He can't do it to the proud because the proud don't even think they need leading and guiding. So, so the condition there is I desire to know God. I must be willing to know what God says. And then third, I must... You know, if I'm going to get guidance from God, I must look to God's word. Because much of God's will has already been revealed to us. It's already been given to us right in his word. And so Psalm 119.105 says it like this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So what, he's, what, the, what the word does is it, it illumines just one step at a time. Just one step at a time. That's what the word does. And so, and so the way that you know God's will is you know it through God's word. That's where his word is, you know, his will is revealed. Now, you know, do I need to listen for a, a voice in my heart? Well, 
the thing that I would say to this is God does guide that way. He can speak to your heart. He can give you a leading and a prompting and an impression. You just want to be careful with that. Because the enemy can, can mask that as well. And God's never going to tell you to do something that's going to violate his word. That's the bottom line. He's never going to tell you to do something that violates his word. So don't put the emphasis on a voice or hearing the voice. Put an emphasis on the verse. And if God wants to give you his voice, he's God. He can do that. Just run it through his word. Does that make sense? I think in our culture today, there's a lot of emphasis on experiences and feelings. Again, it's cultural. And you need to test them. You need to test them. And so lastly, I think we say this. If I want to be guided by God, I must rely on God's grace. I need to rely on God's grace. And you're like, well, what do you mean? I I think fundamentally, the enemy attacks us at this whole point of, is God really good? Is he really good? And you're praying for guidance and you're praying for God's blessing in your life and you're kind of waiting for that, you know what I mean? And you're just kind of, you just kind of wait for the other shoe to drop, you know what I mean? You're just waiting for something bad to happen. It's like, okay, I knew it. Yeah, God, he's ticked off at me because I've not been having my quiet time, you know, and I've not been a really good Christian and now he's punishing me. And so we just kind of have this perspective that God's not really good. He's not really for us and he doesn't really love us. And that's just not, that's just not true. It's just a lie. And in fact, what, you know, what we know is this, is that, you know, when God guides you and whatever God gives to you, it's not based on your worthiness. How God guides you and what God gives you, it's not based on the worthiness of how you've been living lately. What it's based on is the worthiness of how Jesus lived for you. That's what it's based on. Because the truth is, none of us deserve to be guided by God. None of us deserve to be blessed by God. Not today, not tomorrow, not forever. It's based on his worthiness, not ours. And you know what that means for you and me? That God is good and there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. That's how much God loves you. And so what the word says is every good and perfect gift that you have in this world is, comes from the Father above. What the word tells us is that you've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What God has told us that the pain and the difficulties and the heartaches and the trials of this life are going to be redeemed and used for our good and for his glory. We're going to get through them, church. As hard as it is, we're going to get through them. What it really means is this. You know that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of my guide forever. That's really good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the the gospel is just, it's such good news. We can't even sometimes wrap our minds around it. We think there's a condition. We think there's a string attached or something. But thank you that you, you love us so much 
And your love's not like our love. Our love's kind of up and down and imperfect, but yours is just perfect, consistent, and constant. Thank you for that, God. You, you love us. You love us always. And we just thank you as a church that you're guiding us. And I thank you that you're God and you, you just really do a great job of guiding us. So we just say thank you and we want to trust you more. So help us, help us to rely on you, to trust you, to, just to pursue you. Because if we do that, guidance just flows out of that relationship. It's just a natural outflow. I thank you that we don't have to seek an experience. We don't have to hear a certain voice at a certain time. I thank you, God, that you're with us all the time. And it's just amazing to think if you want to give us a voice, you can do that. But we don't have to manufacture that because you're God and we're not. And I just thank you that you are leading us on the right path. God, you are leading us in paths of righteousness. And I just pray that you would use us to do good works as an outflow of the good work you've done for us. That other people would know your name. And so, Lord, I thank you that the good life is found in knowing you. Help us, God. Help us to see you. Help us to know you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said.